Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to this week's edition of the Lashing Out Podcast and the Esports Now Network. I'm Jared Pergar alongside Joe Smelter and Kevin Quigley, and we have got a lot to talk about. Boys, things did not go well in Columbus. Well, they did for Marvin Harrison Jr., who's still running all over the Penn State secondary. But lo and behold, that wasn't the reason why they lost that game. Competent offensive performance wins them that game, and that's not something that they got against Ohio State. And that they, we're of course talking about Penn State, whose offense still hasn't landed in Columbus yet. Yeah, and the worst stat of the week, 0 for 15 to start the game on third down. They did not get a third down conversion until like 50 seconds left in the game. Just inexcusable performance across the board. And it doesn't start with James Franklin. It starts with Mike Yersich. Yeah, Yersich didn't yeah, do a great I'll, job. I'll, Go ahead, Joe. Yeah, I, I was just going to say, I think a pretty good indicator of how successful a day is going in Ohio Stadium for the opposing team is how many times uh, you hear the uh, opening of ACDC's Hell's Bells, which is what Ohio State plays every third down. And Jared, we were there. We heard it a lot, uh, 16 times to be exact. Um, as Kevin alluded to, 0 for 15 on the first um, 15 tries finally converted a late in the game, but by that point, the script had already been written, and the script uh, has not been flipped uh, for Penn State um, against Ohio State. We'll see what happens against Michigan, but uh, the key story in the big picture is that James Franklin uh, hasn't done very well in these big games, and uh, Jared, I know you were going to talk about Mike Yursich, and um I haven't really dug too deep into the film yet. I'm probably going to do that uh, when we're done with this. Uh, but scoring six points before garbage time doesn't speak well for the offensive coordinator. No, he uh, he did a terrible job of setting Drew Aller up for success. You know, you talk about protecting the quarterback or running the football. They had opportunities to establish the run. Now, don't get me wrong. Ohio State sold out. They had six guys in the box, and they were playing – Man on man, they were playing cover zero, you know, in the secondary. And Penn State doesn't have the dogs, man. They don't have a Marvin Harrison Jr. They don't have a go-to guy. Keandre Lambert-Smith is not that guy. You know, last year they had Parker Washington for most of the year, Mitchell Tinsley, whatever. Years ago they had Chris Godwin and Jahan Dotson. There isn't a single receiver that deserves to be in that same sentence with those guys right now. And that's not disrespect. That's just kind of the way that it is. But Drew Aller wasn't put in position to succeed. The issue along that line – is they just did not play – they didn't work in different play calls to to get guys open. You saw a lot of crossing route, a lot of route, level routes for Marvin Harrison Jr. I thought Kalen King played very, very well against him outside of the two penalties. Um, but again, you're playing against one of the best players in the country without a doubt. For your sitch, though, you've got you've to figure out something. They just the, – the pre-snap motions, you know – they're they're gimmicky and and I I understand that you want to see what the defense is going to give you, but you lined up and knew but everybody knew what was coming. You know you weren't able to get outside the tackle box on the run, and that's what you desperately needed. They just didn't do enough to to set the offense up for success. And all credit to Ohio State. Ohio State is the number three ranked team in the country for a reason. But on that day, Penn State, all they really needed was competent offensive performance, and they didn't get it. No. And it starts with Yersich. Why was Marvin Harrison Jr. successful yesterday? They had three and four wide receivers on the field, and they got Marvin Harrison Jr. matched up against Kobe King, 
Curtis Jacobs. Why isn't Penn State doing that? Theo Johnson, 53 snaps yesterday. Tyler Warren, 48 snaps yesterday. Most of them together. Penn State has not run three, four wide receiver sets all season long. Why don't wide receivers get separation? Because there's only two of them on the field. You're putting your top two wide receivers against your top two cornerbacks every single play. What does Omari Evans look like in the slot matched up against, I don't know, God forsaken, you get Tommy Eichenberg matched up with Omari Evans. Where the hell is Malik McLean? Malik McLean, since he had two drops against Illinois, 15 snaps at Iowa, one snap at UMass against Northwestern, eight snaps against UMass, zero against Ohio State, zero targets the last four games. You brought him in to be a wide receiver, and you put him in the doghouse after two drops? Amari Evans, 42 snaps at Iowa, 32 against Northwestern, one target each of those games, 15 and 16 of those were pass plays. McLean was three, one, and eight, and two pass plays. Dante Cephas, 44 snaps against Iowa. Northwestern, 33, 19, 22 passing plays, 19 at Northwestern, four passing plays at UMass. He has 11 targets in the previous three weeks. He only had three yesterday. Caden Saunders, 10 snaps, two targets. Tyler Warren, 48 snaps, two targets. You're not putting this offense in a position to be successful, and you're not taking advantage of matchups. You're stuck in stupid 12 personnel every freaking snap, and the defense can match up against it. You don't change your personnel ever. They haven't run three wide receivers all year long, and they did the same thing against Ohio State. We thought they were holding it back, and they didn't. They just don't have it. And if you're Mike Yersich, you need to be freaking gone. Absolutely gone. You can't get a top wide receiver on into the program if you don't play the 10 that's on your fucking roster. It, it, I just don't get it. It's, play calling aside, we can talk about that probably in the second segment because I've just been going on an eight-minute rant at this point in time. But, like... How can you recruit a top wide receiver if you have 10 on the roster, you bring two into the transfer portal to play wide receiver, and you put them on the damn bench? Goodbye. Those See you great, later. Those are great See points. See you later. Those are great points. Um, my So my retort to that is, number one, check out my article Monday morning on uh, nesportsnow.com because I talk about who is to blame for this. Um I think when you're an offensive coordinator, you want to put the defense in conflict. Penn State didn't put Ohio State in conflict at all. They huddled up, which is normal because of the crowd noise. I understand that. Um, but when the players did get chances to execute, they did not. So regardless of what Yersich called, they failed to execute in a way that mattered. You know, the first couple drives, your or Aller looked kind of scared. Not maybe not necessarily scared, but the moment was too big for him and Yursich. You know, they called up. There was a play on the far side as they're driving down the field. He tries to throw to Kendra Lambert Smith. Kendra Lambert Smith keeps running, and that ball is five yards behind Kendra Lambert Smith. And that is maybe not on Drew Aller. That's probably on Kendra Lambert Smith for not reading that and coming back for the comeback route. So without looking at the all 22 and look at, without knowing Penn State's playbook, you got to execute. So obviously you, you 
as an offensive coordinator, you you expect players to execute what you call. They didn't do that at all, and they didn't. They did a bad job of, of creating space and separation. You mentioned it. Marvin Harrison Jr. was able to get open because they they got him open. They schemed him open, and Penn State didn't do that. They did not abandon their scheme, and that's that's what they need to do to succeed. You know, that's going to work against Illinois and Indiana's and Iowa's. You know, they, man, you want to talk about Iowa football. We'll talk about that a little bit in the third segment. That was great. But they just didn't do a good job of getting anybody into conflict. And that's a big time issue moving forward. Yeah. And Kevin hit on it. Um, is it at the point where Penn State is falling too in love with the tight end, at least from a being on the field standpoint? Because obviously Franklin talks a lot about um, having having complete tight ends, having a tight end room that he that he's said over the years is the best in the country. And Theo Johnson and Tyler Warren, I we all agree, I think that they're good. But as Kevin mentioned, with twelve personnel, is that a thing? Because Penn State is falling too in love with that position, and the receivers, guys like Amari Evans, Malik McLean, are those guys getting hurt as a result? Because I I think you might be on to something. Yeah, and Drew, what what offense did Drew Aller run in high school? He ran four and five wide receiver sets all throughout high yep. school. That's why he came to Penn State because Yurch is used to run the spread offense. So is it is it Franklin mandating twelve personnel, or is it Yurch just afraid to use four wide? Like, is he afraid of Franklin? Is like, is he afraid to step up to him? I, I there's a dynamic there that we don't know. They tried to hurt, get they tried to catch team. Ohio State off guard and they didn't do it. Right? They tried to run that 12 personnel or whatever. But if you're gonna run 12 personnel, run the football and run behind your tight end. So many times they ran the T and Warren would go one way and the back would go the other. Follow your blocker or set yourself up for success. And they didn't do that. They didn't do that at all. You know, we want to talk about how good we think the tight ends are. Theo Johnson is terrible in run protection, but and and that was one I think I think Aller was when he got crushed on the on the incompletion. Theo Johnson didn't get there to make the block that would have prevented that. He was yeah, late he getting down. to the side he, of play. Well, that was a terrible play because Warren blocks down and yeah, he picked J- up the end and let the, the backer come. through. Yeah, yeah, it's the offense. Yeah, so that plays well. that play design and that play structure wasn't, especially in that situation, wasn't wasn't very good but we can talk like we could talk all day for every flaw that that they had and we'll talk a little bit more about it when we come back in the second segment of the lashing out podcast on the sports now network welcome back to the second segment of the lashing out podcast i'm here with Jared as well. I'm, I am Jared. They are Joe and Kevin. We're like the Jonas brothers, but cooler. We have an identity. I am Jared. Kevin is Kevin and, and Joe is Joe. But what doesn't have an identity is the Penn state offense. Um, they ran the ball 42 times, essentially out of 12 personnel, 11 threw, personnel Threw the ball 42 times. Yeah, right. They threw sorry. They threw the ball 42 times. It's been a long weekend, you know, watching that game. I'm still waiting for the offense to show up, but that that to me is not an indicator of the of Penn State's offense. I mean, we we thought about oh well, they're vanilla. They're not showing anything. Well, maybe they didn't have anything to show. Clearly, right? We talk about having Belkel backs, and and that's fine. 
but you're running to the near side where there's where there's not space. They're running into space, into proximity of the defenders. Get the guys into space. And obviously Singleton dropped the ball coming out of the backfield. I don't think that that was a great throw by Aller. You know, we the stat broadcast doesn't have any have many drops, which is mind-boggling to me because Liam Clifford had two in the last drive alone. But you look at it, and, and Aller didn't do a great job of getting guys into position to catch the ball. And when he did – First drive, he threw a laser. I, I forget. I think it might have been at, at it was Theo at Johnson, Theo. and it was just lasered in there. And that thing, unless it would have got stuck in his pads, wasn't going to be caught. So they just they tried to do too much. We mentioned in the first, or I mentioned in the first segment about the pre-snap motions. There was so much pre-snap motion; it was so confusing. It cost them a fourth down try. Because they couldn't get lined up. They called a timeout, and then they ended up punting or going for the field goal or, or something. But they need to establish an identity. If that's a power run team, then empower run it. But you have Drew Aller. Give him the keys. Let him do Drew Aller things. He's good when he's out of the pocket. He's good, for the most part, when he has poise. But you've got to set him up for success and figure out what is your strength. And right now, that strength is not the receivers. Yeah. And I think one of the reasons last year was so enjoyable and successful is that Penn State had a clear identity. Uh, walking through to Mike Yersich er- real quick, 2021, they didn't have a good offensive line and they didn't run the ball well. And Sean Clifford is not a guy that can succeed in an offense where those things aren't working. But last year you had a guy who could manage the game uh, in most cases. Last year's Ohio State game, he didn't do it, but – Sean Clifford was good at managing a game. And then you had two very good, especially for being true freshman running backs and Nick Singleton and Catron Allen. And you just ran the ball. Well, uh, didn't make mistakes, played great defense and won 11 times out of 13 Penn state had, I think a pretty clear offensive identity last season. And this year you had what everybody was expecting to be a better quarterback. And maybe it will end up being a better quarterback in drew hour, but the identity is not there. And, um, I remember talking on Corey Geiger's radio show before the season about um, could uh, having this change at quarterback start uh, to cause problems with kind of an identity crisis. And we're starting to see that, I think. What is the identity of this Penn State offense? Not scoring is bad enough, but not really having a clear um, indicator of what you can and can't do or will or won't do. Uh, that's a problem. And Penn State has four, no, five regular season games to figure it out, plus whatever comes in the postseason. Uh, but yeah, there's no identity to this offense, and that's that's on the coordinator. And the worst part is it's a split. It's not even no identity. It's a split identity. You're throwing 42 times out of 12 personnel. If you're gonna if you're gonna throw the ball 42 times and only run it 18 times with two five star running backs. One of them averaged 5.3 yards per carry on his nine carries. You better get out of 12 personnel if you're going to throw it 42 times. Nick Singleton probably has more success with a four wide receiver set because you give him more space. Let that dude eat. He's fast, he's quick, and he wants to run somebody over. And he has a hell of a lot better chance of running over a nickelback or a dimeback than he does running over Tommy Eichenberg between the tackles. You know, looking at the statistics from the fourth quarter, do you know what's crazy? They passed the ball 20 times in the fourth quarter. Yeah. 20 times. 
So that means through the third quarter, they passed it only, only 22. And that, that to me, you know, it's still a one possession game. It is still a one possession game for most of the game. And, you know, that's the one thing when you look at it, you've, you've got to be able to, to put the score on, to put points on the board. But it, I understand that most of those passes came on that final drive where they finally were able to find the the end zone after Ohio state stopped caring. Right. You know, you get that garbage time touchdown and that's great. Whatever. I'm not quite sure the, the, the analytics selling them to go for two. I thought that was pretty dumb, but again, I don't get paid millions of dollars to make dumb decisions. I just get paid a couple thousand to say dumb things, Um, you know, at school and, and then this, but the, the thing is, you know, you're you're averaging roughly 3.7 yards per carry, but you only made 20 attempts through the first game. Now, you, uh, the you want to talk about how split everything was. They just weren't on the field because they couldn't convert a first down or third down. You know, they were one for 16, one for three out on fourth downs. They were 0 for 10 through three quarters. So they yeah. only got they went one for six in the fourth quarter alone in this entire time. It is a one possession game and that to me is what's what's absolutely insane about it yeah and joe i know i know you want to go but let me one one last thing we talked in or i said in the pregame don't be rory mcelroy at the masters don't grip the club too tight and they Mm -hmm. grip the club too tight why did mike yersich find the need to run two trick plays at the absolute worst times of the game you find success. You go 11 yards to Tyler Warren. You go 34 yards to Theo Johnson. That was like among the first targets to tight ends of the game. You get the ball to the 28-yard line of Ohio State. What do you do? A double pass. And then you double down later in the game. You punt the ball. You get the turnover. You're at midfield. And what do they do? They run a motion that's drifting away from the line of scrimmage where everybody on the defense is alerting to, hey, they're probably going to throw a double pass here. And guess what? They threw a double pass there, and it was unsuccessful both times. Yursich absolutely killed this team. They were gripping the club too tight. But go ahead, Joe. And Sorry. this is a yeah. This this is a great. Well, it wasn't great for Penn State, uh, but from a talking standpoint, it's a pretty great sequence to talk about because there's a lot to dive into in the first quarter. And I don't want to be too critical of a Penn State scoring drive on a day where it scored 12 points, but. Nick, Nick Singleton ran for 20 yards, and that was the first time this season that he had had a 20-yard run. Next play, runs for 16 yards. So in two plays, Penn State got, took the ball from its own 38 to the Ohio State 26 solely because of Nick Singleton and the offensive line. So I understand you don't want to be too predictable. You can't give it to one guy every play. But change up the look, broke Catron Allen in there. Do something. Keep running the ball when you have 36 yards on two plays. But no, first and 10 on the Ohio State 26. They try a pass. Drew Hour gets sacked. Next play, incomplete. And then on third and 13 on the Ohio State 29, they run it with Singleton again, which only makes sense if you plan on going for it on fourth down, which Penn State clearly did not because they had Falcons kick a 40-yard field goal. But that, to me, that whole sequence is just a clear indicator of what we were talking about with Penn State, at best, having a split identity. Because, like, just what is that sequence? I mean, you're doing something really well. You did well all of last year. Keep doing it. 
it was almost like they had the first 50 plays scripted. They didn't really make very many adjustments. They scripted the whole game, it seemed like. Yeah, right. You know, other than that last drive when it really didn't matter. But it, that's the thing. Like, you look at the way that this game played out, and it was so bizarre from a, from a play call standpoint. Um, but Joe's – but, yeah, you, you feed the guy the rock. You, you're, it's working. And then they come back, and it's two in, back-to-back incompletions or whatever, and it's – whatever. It's done. But, like, feed them and, and allow them to get off tackle. Nich- Nicholas Singleton hasn't done a great job of getting out t- outside the tackles this year. Now, don't get me wrong. That's by design. But let the let the reins off, man. Let him let him go. He's he's a peacock. You gotta let him fly, right? You, just go after it. Let him get after it, and get him into space, and get your playmakers into space. That's where that matters. Yeah, it's it, they just didn't do a good job of that. You know, so many times they run it to the to the tight side and not the the near side or or whatever, and it's not putting their their guys into. It's, it's funneling them in. It's not getting them a chance to to make a move and and make get some space. And Penn State did a terrible job of that. And yeah, they're right now. If I am a team, and this I've said this all year, you have to make Drew Aller beat you. And I don't know that he's capable of that at the moment against big time teams. He sure as hell didn't prove that against Ohio State. And it doesn't get any easier. Yeah, there's Indiana coming to to Beaver Stadium Saturday, but then you go to Maryland. Maryland's okay. Then you host Michigan. And if you play remotely like you did offensively against Michigan, you're going to be sorry. Yeah. And let's let's drift away. I'm done being negative. I want to talk about some good things. But you were so good at it, Kevin. I, I know. My blood pressures. It might be. I haven't seen you this fired up in quite some time. It, it might be. My blood pressure might be as high right now as it was yesterday in the game. But let's talk about the boys on defense, coached by Manny Diaz. Because our defense, Penn State's defense, our, we're not on the team. Penn State's defense was equally as smothering as, as Ohio State's was. And Ohio State actually has a decent, I mean, they have Ryan Day calling their offense, and he's a hell of a lot better coordinator than Mike Yersich is. Penn State, average third down distance for Ohio State offense, 7.3 yards. Penn State was 7.5. So Penn State's defense was just as successful in first and second down as Ohio State was. But Penn State couldn't couldn't stop them on third down. Ohio State a much better drive completion rate. Penn State held them two three and outs and three drives less than a minute. Granted, two one of them was a true drive. So, and they only had one drive of five minutes or more. Average field position was four yards in favor of Ohio State. This is a game perfectly matched, and Penn State just failed to execute on offense. But that defense absolute studs if it wasn't for that holding call and curtis jacobs takes that takes that ball to the house i think Yersich lets it go i think they were just playing scared but man that defense was so freaking good yesterday offensively they turtled up but defensively they got after it mccord was uncomfortable at times again the only issue was that they just let marvin harrison do marvin harrison things that's two years in a row and there's really not much you can do there i mean he is a great player by all means, I think right now he's probably t- one of the top three guys. I would say if I had a Heisman vote, that would get my vote. But, you know, they Chuck Robinson went down in the second quarter. And it didn't – not to say that it didn't matter, but it didn't have any reflection in the game, right? Chuck Robinson's a big-time loss, and I hope that he's comes back healthy. But, of course, no, 
nobody's going to ask that and nobody and Franklin's not going to say anything about it after the game. But, but that when you lose a guy like that and it doesn't, and it's next man up and there is no drop off that defense is, was really, really, really good. But the issue on that scoring drive, I mean, you take that away. I think they get three points out of it to be honest with you. Um, but at the same time, you know, they hold him to three. That's now six points or, or, or whatever. Or, I'm sorry. It's now six, six in a game. The, the complexity of the game has changed. Um, I did think that there was defensive holding. I thought that was a good call. The personal foul after that, I thought was bogus I, to me, you or, know, looking or, at it in real time, that's physics. You can't stop physics as soon as the whistle stops. And when that happens, that's never a good thing. But, you know, I do think there was a little bit of embellishment at the end. Did the arm extend? Yes. But I think in that moment, I think that's a play that should not be called and should not be a 15-yarder. But yeah. and then you come back with the pass interference, and and that's, you know, that's on Penn State. Yeah, and it, there's a guy I want to hit on, and we talked a lot about him last week. Kevin and I talked about him. But Daquan Hardy is on an absolute heater right now. He had three pass breakups at least um, in, I think, all in the first quarter. Uh, just played a whale of a ball game against a pretty talented receiver in Ohio State's Cornell Tate. Unfortunately, a lot of people are going to talk about um, misjudging that punt and letting that go by, which cost Penn State probably about 25 yards of field position. But the way the offense was playing, like like that would have mattered. I mean, it was a mistake, but... And looking at that punt, that punt, we talked it, and Joe and I talked about this in the press box. That punt is so hard to read. When you have the rugby style kick and it comes off a lot, a lot more lopsided than usual, and there's no backspin, it's more of a side spin. That ball knuckled, and that was just a tough ball to read. And they got, of course, an Ohio Stadium bounce or, or two. And that's just the way that that was. Sorry to cut you off there, Joe, but, but you're right. It, no matter where they picked that ball up, I don't think it was going to matter on that day. Yeah. And if you've ever played volleyball, that ball was floating like a float serve. It was a float serve punt with a tailwind. So, I mean, don't fault Daquan Hardy for that at all. I mean, let's let's not take away because he was having an absolute quarter. They were trying to go after him in the first quarter. He said, nah. Yeah, he played very well. He's played really yeah. well. He's probably been their most consistent guy on the backside. Um, Jalen Reed had a really good game. He had a great tackle on, on that fourth and one uh, down there, the gold line. The defense did their job. Unfortunately, the offense didn't hold up their end of the bargain. But we're going to talk a lot more about some different things here on the third and final segment of the Lashing Out podcast when we return from this quick break. Final segment of the Lashing Out podcast and the Sports Now Network. They are Kevin and Joe. I am Jared. We've reached the final segment. The final countdown has played. But let's talk about the top 25 because as bad as Penn State was, they're still only 10 in the country. Penn State defensively, I think, and James Franklin is right. Credit to James Franklin. I think we did see two of the best defenses play on Saturday in Columbus. Offensively, not at all. I, neither offense was very good. You mentioned Ryan Day's play calling. Ryan Day. Very, very conservative. Joe and I talked about that in the press box. Uber conservative, and and it worked out well for for them. They still they did just enough to win. And I think when you have a defense like they do, and this is how Penn State needs to go about it, if you have a defense that good, you just got to do enough to put yourself in a position to win. And they did just that. But the the worst loss I think is when you look at North Carolina. North Carolina lost to Virginia at home. 
That's the first time the Cavaliers started college football in 1888 that they beat a ranked top 10 opponent on the road. Jared, do you want to tell the listeners uh, what sweatshirt you got on right now? I am 100%, I am 100% <laughs> wearing a North Carolina jacket right now. Okay, I just wanted to make just wanted to clarify that. Yeah, crazy week in the top 25. Uh Washington barely squeaks past Arizona State. They won 7 15 to 7. They scored 12 points in the fourth quarter. Uh, Oklahoma with a scare against UCF last second touchdown there. It was just a funky week for the top 10. Luckily Penn State stays in the top 10. Joe, any games that stood out to you? Uh, yeah, I think that uh, that UNC loss might be the worst loss by a team in this college football season because the ACC is winnable. Uh, Clemson is washed. Florida State is a good team, but not a great team. I think we saw last night that Florida State's not a great team. So the ACC, I think Carolina plays Florida State later, if I'm not mistaken. Not mistaken, but uh, yeah, uh. Carolina was right there in the ACC title race. And if you win the ACC, you always got a chance to make the playoff. But that's all up in smoke now by losing to a bad Virginia football team at home on the CW. Oh, yes. Uh, did you guys now, see? They, uh... don't, they don't play. They don't play Florida State. So that matchup would have to come in the ACC championship game. A game that Pitt. Listen, you I, want to talk about bad beat them in the title. Yes, yes. But you want to, and that would be the worst case scenario for the ACC, you know. And Clemson's sitting around that that chicken coop as well, you know. Did and you? well, I mean, they're 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 they Dabo had some interesting statements after the game. Um, USC didn't let their players make some statements after the game. They got beat by Cam Rising list Utah. Cam Rising's hear, now out for the season. Did you hear what Kyle Whittingham said? Oh yeah, he has some he big said, farmers. Uh, Kyle Whittingham, if you didn't catch this before the game, said uh, USC's got a Heisman Trophy quarterback. We've got a pig farmer as a quarterback. And uh, the pig farmer won. Uh, it wasn't a slight – it wasn't meant in a negative way, but I guess uh, Utah's quarterback has actually grew up on a pig farm of some sort in time. And, uh, yeah, it looks like Cam Rising's heading toward a medical red shirt, which, man, that Utah team could be scary. Texas yeah. is in trouble as well. Quinn Ewers is out for with an AC with a sprained AC joint. Um, we mentioned Iowa. <laughs> Iowa has a has a, a very very clear path to the to the Big Ten championship. However, they lost to Minnesota, twelve ten. Um, in uh, you want to talk about another bad beat? We mentioned Pitt and Christian Vigers slide, but the the Kenny Pickett rule right comes back to bite Pitt. Um, so I guess maybe they're even on that. But Iowa was called for a for a fair catch. It was not a fair catch. It was saying no, 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 whatever. And um, they got called for the fair catch. It cost them because they housed the punt. <laughs> so that was great. That would have put give them given them seventeen points, which is hard to come by for the Hawkeyes. But yeah, it was a wild weekend. It, it, college football is only going to get wilder. I think you know. Y- you look at the grand scheme of things. There's a lot of parity involved. And, and there's, and this is the year that it's going to come about or it's going to come out and, and shine, but there's still a lot of football left to be played. And I think that's the biggest thing to take away from Penn state. This is one loss. It is October. They've still got to play Michigan. Ohio state still has to play Michigan. 
So there's a lot of things that can happen. But if Penn State takes care of their own business, they're still going to be set up really nicely with just a few um, with a few games left. Last two things I got: James Madison University seven and zero, finally ranked. Got to rep, got to rep the home state. And honestly, if you voted Florida State number one, who the hell are you? Florida State three number one votes now, after barely beating a hobbled Riley Leonard in Duke. Ugh. Yeah, I'm gonna uh, rant. I'm gonna yeah. rant about. I'm gonna rant about that all year long. If you vote Florida State number one, yeah, you you deserve to lose your vote. So I'm gonna I'm gonna give a quick shout out uh, to Ryan Day. Um, I don't think Ryan Day is a reason Ohio State won yesterday, but um, at the end of the day, no pun intended. Uh, this is a guy who um, Jim Harbaugh made that famous. Uh, some people were blurting on third and think they had a triple coming two years ago. Um, and that's how I think a lot of people uh, see Ryan Day. I'm a guy that inherited a great team. Um, that Urban Meyer left him and kind of just uh, won based on that, but. This is year five for him now. These guys that are on the team are his guys that he brought to Ohio State. And we talk about James Franklin's inability to win big games, which is very evident. But um, with an Ohio State team that people are down on relative to years past, uh, there's no great quarterback. Uh, you have Harrison, but the receiving core, I don't think it's as deep as it's been. But they've had two pretty big time matchups and they've won both of them. And that reflects positively on the head coach. Um, I'm not ready to give Ryan day any awards, but um, I think it's cert. I think he might be shaking that uh, board on third uh, reputation a little bit. Um, so again, I don't think he's the reason Ohio state beat Penn state, um, but he didn't lose that big matchup and he didn't lose Notre Dame. So credit to him. You know, they say in theater, the show must go on. Well, the show must end today but we will have plenty more to talk about later this week penn state does host it the season lives on as much as you want to look at twitter and the world is falling and crumbling and everybody wants to fire everybody and their brother and even kevin wants to fire your that's not going to happen let's be real however there will be another game it's a beaver stadium at noon against the hoosiers of indiana but it's going to be one of those things um we do and we should you know, have a lot more to bring you later this week. Please tune in um, as we dive into a couple different things here on the Lashing Out Podcast. But for Kevin Quigley and Joe Smelter, this has been Jared Prugar on the Lashing Out Podcast on the Esports Now Network. We'll catch you again later this week. 